Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman, Associate Director of Policy and Communications, recording from New York. And I'm Eli Koaz, Communications Director, recording from Tel Aviv. And we have a bunch of things to talk about this week. Over the weekend, there was controversy about annexation with U.S. Ambassador to Israel David Friedman's comments in the New York Times. And of course, there's always a lot to discuss in Israeli elections. And we are, of course, in the second round of elections in 2019. And it's primary season for some of the parties. Not all of the parties have primaries, but a few of them do. And we're starting to see the leadership races in those parties shape up. So, Eli, can you lay out a little bit what's going on? Well, Evan, it's also nice to do a podcast with you once again. I think it's been it's been a bit. We've had a we've had a Eli Evan podcast hiatus. It's really just been one way or the other. It's an Eli cast or an Evan cast, and we don't like that kind of division. Well, as in Israeli politics, I mean, coming together and mergers are very popular. So I'm happy we're back. I would we're say that together. if we if we were running for the leadership of a party, Eli, would it be safe to say that we would run on a joint ticket? Yeah, uh, we can discuss that at the end. Something along the lines but, but yeah, of, I think, of yeah. uh, Mosi Raz and Isawi Frege and uh, Meretz. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe, you uh, maybe you'd be Labour, I'd be Kacholaba. We'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Okay. But yeah, talking about um, a lot's been happening with uh, Israeli elections. I mean, we're still in the early days. Um, I think about 90 five days from now and obviously it's summer in Israel so things aren't happening as like quickly as they were in April elections um, but a lot of uh, interesting things are happening particularly uh, in the Israeli left right now um, we'll talk I mean maybe let's start with labor where yesterday Avi Gabay uh, announced his uh, resignation. Um, a few days ago, he la- he announced that he wouldn't be running uh, for uh, party leader again. And yesterday, he announced that he wouldn't. He was giving up his his spot on the labor list, meaning that this is, I think, a temporary like retirement uh, from politics, maybe a permanent retirement. Um, and that was obviously uh, there were high hopes for Avi Gabay when he left. Uh, uh, Kulanu and uh, Moshe Kahlon's party and became one of the labor leadership race. You had some of you had some of those high hopes, Eli. I had some high hopes. I and he, he did. I mean, disappoint me. Uh, but um, as he disappointed many, but I guess that's just uh, happens often with Israeli politics. And I'm not sure we'll be seeing him around uh, soon in the Israeli political scene. Right. And, and, and Avi Gabay's exit probably came as a surprise to, to very few people because it was widely known that other members of his party, disappointed with their worst showing in the history of the state of Israel uh, under his leadership, were going to try to unseat him and take back the party uh, to what they saw as being the true Labour Party and uh, redirect it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I mean, I think there was a chance that he may just stay around because he had a a spot on on the list, and it looks likely that there won't be uh, an election. The, the list won't be voted upon again. It will just be for party leadership. That's something that will be decided in the next uh, in the next week or so. Um, but yeah, he so he's out of the picture. Also, Tal Russo, who was his number two, it was pl- appointed in the number two spot, 
um, former, uh, I believe, uh, major general um, in the IDF. Um, he is also left politics and resigned after a <laughs> very short stint. Um, um, and now we're we're in the stage where people are announcing their candidacy for for, for leadership. Um, the notables thus far: Stav Shafir, who announced her candidacy a week ago; uh, Itzik Shmuli, uh, as well. And I think they they're the front runners. Both of them finished in the first two spots in the Labour primary. Also, Amir Peretz, uh, who was. Labor leader uh, previously, obviously former minister of defense. Um, he 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 will he'll also be running. Um, he's more popular with the old guard of the party. And there's a lot of talk about uh, Yair Golan, the former deputy chief of staff, um, who is widely expected to announce some sort of uh, uh, his leap into politics. And this is Yair Golan, who had attracted. Uh, some political controversy last year, correct? When he, uh, was two years ago, he was making comments um, that Israel, he saw as going down the path of Europe in the 30s. Yeah, he said that there were, yeah, it was something of that nature, that there are concerning trends that resemble things that happened in Europe, and obviously there was... That that brought him sort of to the forefront of media attention. And that's, a, to be honest, that's the main reason that he was not uh, appointed chief of staff, uh, because he was definitely a favorite uh, before those those comments were made. Um, so it's going to be interesting because um, there's actually going to be a vote between all Labor Party members of whether or not uh, that the party members will uh, select the next leader, or it will be just the, uh, the, the uh, I'm forgetting how it's called in English, but like uh, Labor Party... Uh, Commit, there's a Labor Party committee, uh, the Labor Party Central Committee, whether they will decide who the next party leader is. Um, and this is because Amir Peretz appealed to the Supreme Court because he obviously prefers for uh, the vote to be among the party elites because he has popularity there, whereas someone like Stav Shafir um, and probably Itzik Shmuley as well have broader support with, with party members and they can obviously they can use the next couple of days to get people to join the party and support them so um so that's uh that's that um and then we have merits who are having primaries as well and they're meeting on sunday the uh the central committee to decide whether to vote just on party leadership or to vote on the entire list and here we also have some interesting developments Right. And Merritt's, uh, there's the possibility of a joint leadership ticket from the members of Knesset, Mosi Raz and Isawi Frej. Uh, Mosi Raz being a Jewish Israeli, Isawi Frej is Arab Muslim. And they are sort of reflecting a trend in Merritt's toward making the party or remaking the party into a Jewish-Arab partnership party. And there had been a lot of movement and a significant amount of attention brought to this idea after the last election when Meretz was essentially saved by Arab voters. Definitively, without uh, the Arab voters, um, Meretz would not be in the Knesset. And obviously, there was low, we know there was a low turnout um, in Arab uh, communities 
in the Arab uh, village. Right. And Meretz, Meretz got a significant share of the Arab vote. It was about a quarter of Israeli Arabs who did end up voting, voted for Meretz. And, and as you said, Eli, there was that low turnout of um, about 50 percent, which is not the lowest it's ever been um, in Israeli political history, but it was low in the scheme of recent elections and especially significantly low. Yeah, yeah. Especially contrasted with 2015 when you have the joint list of the four Arab parties and uh, voter turnout, I believe, was in the 60s, um, which is still lower than Israeli Jewish turnout. uh, But nevertheless, um, this was a pretty sharp drop off from there. Um, So, so yeah, if if that ends up panning out with merits, that would reflect the interest some have laid out in seeing merits be a joint Jewish Arab party. And in the last election, uh, Meretz made sure that in their top five, um, there were two Arab Israelis, Sawi Frej, um, is a longtime Meretz member of Knesset, and, um, you know, had previously been in their top five. Um, but, you know, this time around, it wasn't just one Arab Israeli politician. You had essentially 40% of their realistic spots uh, were for. Israeli Arab politicians. And that, I think, reflects interestingly on the way the dedicated Israeli Arab parties are going to function, because there had been talk after the poor voter turnout of a restoration of the joint list, that partnership of the four Israeli Arab parties. And that had fallen apart over rotation agreements and disagreements uh, between the different factions over their representation in the Knesset and how that would play out. Um, But there was debate over whether the, uh, some of the factions of the joint list, namely Hadash and Tal, um, the more moderate factions should possibly unite with Meretz. And Hadash's leader, Ayman Odeh, said that he wouldn't rule out uniting with Meretz, but his first priority was to restore the joint list. But there's a sort of interesting twist to all of this, which is that the Palestinian Authority has gotten itself involved in this. And uh, they have always had an interest, the Palestinian Authority and the PLO, in Israeli Arab politics. Uh, Tal's leader, the leader of the party, Ahmed Tibi, is a former advisor to Yasser Arafat um, on Israeli affairs. They've taken an interest in Israeli Arab politics before, uh, but this time it seemed that they were actually trying to nudge these parties in the direction of a partnership with the Jewish parties. Um, and that was something that the Israeli Arab parties actually seemed resentful of. They didn't want the PA's involvement. And of course, the PA denied its involvement. Um, but uh, they've been pretty firm, the Israeli Arab parties, on the fact that they want to decide this for themselves and that their first priority is to restore the joint list and that they'll explore other options second. Yeah, so I mean that's something to watch for on uh, on Sunday. Also, I think that merits need to pass some uh, spe- if if they want to have kind of two two leaders of the party, they need to. I think they need to pass some party uh, rule legislation to to allow that because this is something that obviously hasn't been uh, ha- hasn't happened before. Um, also. Another notable candidate who has announced that he is returning to politics and running for party leadership is Nitzan Horowitz, who uh, a very well-regarded journalist in Israel. Um, he's gay. Um, he is very well known as like a leader of LGBT 
uh, rights in Israel and also a, a political commentator. He was once in the Knesset uh, with Meretz before, um, and he will be running. Um, so it looks like we'll have uh, an interesting race. He's also very popular within within the party, so we'll we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, and this is this is all a lot of activity, by the way, on the Israeli left, which seemed sort of left out, no pun intended, from the elections last time. Uh, we had labor's worst showing, uh, the poor turnout among Israeli Arab voters. Um, there were fears that Meretz wouldn't pass the threshold. Um, so I think it's a positive development to see that these parties are trying to... It's a regroup, yeah. They're, they're definitely trying to regroup and, and try to kind of restore a lot of... Uh, I mean, a lot of voters that went over to Blue and White, and this is at a time when Blue and White really uh, aren't doing much. Looks like they're also doing some soul-searching about how what they did wrong and how what to improve. I'm sure we'll hear from them uh, as time progresses. But, um, but Right. I mean, having, having a second election is really a rare opportunity, like once in a lifetime for, for all of these uh, politicians, maybe not even in certain for, people's I mean, lifetimes that they'd too, be lucky yeah. enough to have this happen, that they can, yeah, that they, that they could have a do-over in such a short space of time and learn from the mistakes that they, they, they'd made. And, and the, just to give one example of very specific mistakes that some of these politicians may be trying to correct. I mentioned that the joint list of Israeli Arab parties fell apart over rotation agreements, that you had four parties on one list and they wanted, you know, some modicum of, of equitable representation on that list. So they needed to have these complicated agreements. But when you have four parties, it gets really, really complicated. And they were always disagreeing about it. And that led to the list breaking up and the parties running individually or running two and two. You had two of the parties running on one list, two on another. And that also dampened Israeli Arab voter turnout. Well, now it seems that they're trying to make a rotation agreement or a representation agreement based on their showing in the April 2019 election. And it seems that most of the Arab parties are on board for that. And, you know, that's just one way that they're, they're taking this issue of rotation agreements and representation in the joint list, which was the sticking point before the last election, and they have a chance to correct it just a few months after, uh, you know, after it led to some pretty disastrous political results for them. So, um, you know, like you said, Kakolavan has an opportunity to look at what they did wrong. Uh, the other left-wing parties have an opportunity to do what they, uh, yeah, and of what course, they did wrong. Yeah, and of course also on the Israeli right. Uh, there and um, and that's happening with, uh, or at least it's in the process with. I mean, Naftali Bennett, Moshe Feiglin, Naftali Bennett, obviously uh, the leader of the New Right Party, along with Ayala Chaked, who they they missed the electoral threshold by uh, about fifteen hundred votes, and Moshe Feiglin also um, got just over two percent of the of the popular vote, um, and that was about three hundred thousand votes on that went to waste uh, from right-wing voters. So there's been a lot of talk um, from Feiglin about some sort of agreement with with Bennett, about running together, um, trying to do their best also to like, to how can they get in the Knesset and how can they do it uh, uh, in a way where it kind of, I mean, the, these technical mergers, these technical blocks are something that have become more popular um, especially with the higher thresholds. I mean, we saw it with the United Right Wing 
parties, and I think we'll see it more uh, all over Israel's uh, political map. Right. It's it's as you said, it's a chance for a do-over for the right also, and so you know we shouldn't be too optimistic and uh, too starry-eyed about what the center and the left's chances are. Uh, because the right had a strong showing and they could repeat that or they could outperform. Um, there, there are a lot of obstacles now um, that they have to overcome also that Netanyahu specifically has to overcome. Uh, but these other right-wing parties, and this would have made the difference between having another election or not having another election, uh, could pass to the threshold. If the the new right of Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked, as you mentioned, uh, their party, if they had passed the threshold, there never would have been a controversy with Avigdor Lieberman and dissolution of the Knesset. Yes, because Netanyahu could have, because Netanyahu could have formed a, a right-wing coalition without, without Lieberman. Exactly. So, so there, there's a lot that, you know, we can't give a hard forecast or a hard prediction on right this moment, but it's all something, you know, to keep an eye on how the different parties are behaving now. Um, much more, I, I would recommend watching that much more closely than specific poll numbers, because that'll change uh, as time goes on. And we still have three months before the election, um, just over three months. Yeah, I mean, if I think if we looked at polls, uh, if we looked at polls from about ninety-five days before the April April ninth elections, I think you would see Gantz hadn't even merged. Like it was Gantz was maybe at like sixteen seats. Right, he was. And, he was still the he was still the head of Chosin Le Israel. Who who even remembers Chosin Le Israel? That was the the camo uh, colored uh, party logo and all. The, yeah, uh, it was it was a different time. It was it was. February or January 2019, so long ago. Yeah, I mean, then you had Orly Levy way uh, over the threshold, and you had all these things just change completely. So, I mean, just a lot of, uh, yeah, I mean, it's only 95 days or so, but a lot, a lot will change. I feel like we're thinking about really distant history, but yeah, that was that was not that long ago. It was a couple months. And yeah, so let's shift gears. Um, you know, we're following the elections very closely at Israel Policy Forum. You can go on the 120 Project, our elections website at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash elections two. That's the number two. Uh, but our other big issue at Israel Policy Forum and our, our big organizational focus is West Bank annexation. So we all were watching really closely over the weekend. Um, over the Shavuot holiday, when uh, it came out that Ambassador David Friedman, the U.S. ambassador to Israel, had made comments in an interview with the New York Times, David Halpfinger, um, that he would support, or he thinks that Israel has the right to retain certain parts of the West Bank, um, in his words, under the right circumstances. And this was read um, by a lot of people as an endorsement of partial annexation of the West Bank, um, I agree with that assessment. Um, I think that's where he was going. Um, and a lot of people felt it was problematic uh, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, um, I think it's also notable that I think the there was some clarification from the administration afterwards that there's no plans to implement any sort of annexation and they, that hasn't been discussed with Israel. Um, but I think uh, uh, the question is, is this, uh, we know that Ambassador Friedman is, the most right-wing person when it comes to Israel in this whole 
U.S. team or whatever you want to call it. Um, so is this him expressing like personal views or is he expressing something that's that's a view of the administration? I think that it's both personal and the policy of the administration. The clarification that came out is a form of, in my opinion, half-hearted damage control. The administration's policy is pretty clear at this point. The different representatives of the administration, it's not just David Friedman. I agree with you that he's the most right-wing in the Trump team, but we can look back to Jared Kushner's recent um, interview, not just the one on Axios, uh, where he said he wasn't sure about the Palestinians' ability to govern themselves, but also he had an interview at a Time magazine program where he basically uh, discarded the two-state framework uh, explicitly. He said that they that they were going to be getting rid of the old frameworks and moving ahead with what, what they call, you know, alternatives or different policies. But the, the message has been clear all along, which is that they're stepping away from this two-state framework. And that was clear when they moved the American embassy to Jerusalem outside of the context of negotiations or a negotiated solution. It was clear when they cut off all of the aid to the Palestinians, all the aid projects in the West Bank and Gaza, and even uh, projects in East Jerusalem, like uh, hospitals that were outside of Palestinian authorities' purview. Um, it was even clear, I think, when they recognized the annexation of the Golan Heights, which, of course, was never a Palestinian territory. That's party to a dispute between Israel and Syria from the Six-Day War. Uh, but I think that was to send a message, and I think the message was read clearly and accurately by the Israeli right, that the United States is not going to stand in the way of Israel annexing certain territory. And um, there were Israeli politicians who uh, said that they, they saw the Golan Heights recognition as a green light to uh, annex territory in the West Bank. Yeah, of course. I mean, as someone who's given money to uh, to West Bank settlements and someone who's obviously very close, uh, I think if he wasn't ambassador, you would see him continuing uh, with that activity and being a, an advocate of annexing. And I think if you were to put him on an Israeli political map, he would be on the right wing of the Likud, if not uh, uh, next to Smotrich in the United Right Wing party list. So, I mean... Uh, uh, it's a, it's an interesting scenario, but I mean, at the same time, um, I think both of us agree that we're unlikely to see uh, a political uh, Israeli-Palestinian peace plan or whatever you want to call it uh, in the next uh, few months, to say the least, um, until uh, there's a government in Israel, and even if there is a, a government uh, in Israel, by the time that happens, we're getting close to uh, the beginning of the the U.S. elections, 2020. Um, so I think that the fear of imminent annexation, which we thought uh, was something that was happening because of uh, kind of Netanyahu trying to uh, secure immunity and the right wing parties demanding uh, some sort of annexation uh, in return. Um, that's kind of in the background, but I think we should look at uh, the economic conference in Bahrain, which is still ago, the economic workshop, sorry. Um, and we have Egypt, Jordan, um, and I believe Morocco announcing that they will all attend. I mean, Egypt and Jordan, 
that's pretty prominent. I mean, the Palestinian the Palestinian Authority were were doing their best to make sure that that especially Jordan uh, and Egypt as well uh, don't attend. Um, what should we make about that? I mean, that must be considered a win uh, for for the administration, um, especially uh, considering all the things you mentioned about how they've distanced themselves from everything regarding a two-state framework. Um, I think that none of the countries that are attending saw themselves as being in a position to reject the U.S. invitation outright or to start. Just because of, would you say, because of aid and... Yeah, I think because of aid, I think they don't want to become the subject of partisan infighting in Washington. I mean, Saudi Arabia has fallen out of favor, uh, you know, fallen out of favor on the Hill over the war in Yemen, over the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. And I don't think that any of these other countries want to be in the position that Saudi Arabia is in. And granted, Saudi Arabia um, hasn't received like uh, the full force of any kind of real punishment that the United States could dole out, but it's still probably an uncomfortable position for the Saudi government to be in, uh, to be no longer a you know, subject of, of more or less bipartisan consensus on the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia. So if Egypt rejected the uh, invitation or Jordan or Morocco, then maybe the Republicans would come out swinging against those countries because they spurned the administration, or certainly the administration would. Um, I don't know about Republicans in Congress necessarily, but it's just a situation that they can avoid altogether by showing up at the conference. It doesn't mean they need to endorse the substance of the Trump administration's politics. I think that their I think their take is that they, they can cross that bridge when they come to it. And it's likely that they'll, I think it's likely that they'll do the opposite, I mean, which could be quite embarrassing for the administration if at this conference all of these important regional players reiterate uh, their support for a two-state solution, two-state framework with the Palestinian capital in East Jerusalem, with the administration going on, on some other route, I think it will be a... Right. I would imagine that that's exactly what will happen. I, I would see these countries showing up. Um, They won't trash the economic component. They'll probably even say that economic component is important to a sustainable framework. However, that framework requires a political horizon based on the idea of a two-state solution with an independent state of Palestine with East Jerusalem as its capital, which, as you just said, is not what the administration is going for. I think it's pretty clear Um, Most people can see that that's not what the administration is going for. And so that could be embarrassing for the Trump administration. I don't think they know how to handle it because I don't think that they're going to explicitly put out their political program as part of this workshop at the end of the month. Um, They have been pretty clear that it's only an economic workshop. Um, So they may try to look the other way when these governments make those kinds of statements in favor of two states. But we'll just have to see. Um, And Evan, will you be at the economic uh, workshop? 
I will not be at the uh, economic workshop. I will actually be in Israel. So I'll be a little closer to Bahrain than I usually am. It's a little closer than New Jersey. And we still don't know whether there will be any Israeli representatives at the at the workshop, right? Has that been... They, they hadn't received their invitation. And I think that some people were speculating that it was the Trump administration trying to avoid any kind of embarrassment if the Arab countries wouldn't even show up. Uh, but I imagine that, they, that they'll get their invitation. And do you expect that Egypt... And Jordan will be asked by the United States to try to pressure uh, the Palestinians to send some representative? Or do you think that's... Um, I don't think that that's an area that they're going to tread into. Like I said, I think that they're trying to do the bare minimum of what they need to do to satisfy the United States. And pressuring the Palestinians to show up would be going above and beyond what I think the Trump administration expects of them or what the Trump administration, uh, you know, the Trump administration, I think, will let them go to the conference and just go to the conference. And they're not going to punish them for just going to the conference and not doing anything else, because uh, if they were going to punish them for that, then the Arab countries could just not go to the conference and get penalized by the United States anyways. Uh, but it's a better situation for them to just not go to the conference. So I think they'll let them go to the conference and keep a relatively low profile about it um, because for the United States, that's better than the Arab states not going at all. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds right. So we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on what happens in Bahrain. We'll also be keeping an eye on what's going on with Israeli elections and the, the upcoming primaries. So for those who want to follow the developments, again, for elections, you can follow our 120 project. Uh, at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash elections two. Again, that's the number two. And for West Bank annexation and everything related to those issues and the slide into that direction, we have annexation watch at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash annexation watch. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Yalla bye. Oh my god. Okay, Itzik Shmuel is calling. Should I answer? Oh, it's an audio recording. Can you hear? It's a recording. Okay, I'm not on him, okay. Is that okay?